Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman Program. And greetings from Chicago. We're here live at the Sheet Metal Workers Smart 265 Hall. We have a great panel all three hours. They're going to be with us. We've got a studio audience. We've got Paul over here with the microphone. And if at any point you want to ask a question or speak to an issue, flag him down and flag me down. And, you know, I'll, I'll call on you and Paul will get the microphone to you. We have with us, first of all, uh, among the people here on the panel, Jim Allen, who is the president of the Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. They do you know, bricklayers, tuck pointers, marble, granite, terrazzo, all the trowel trades. And uh, we have John Daniel, the business manager of uh, the Sheet Metal Workers Smart 265, also the host of this thing. And thank you, John, for, for having us here. And also, thanks for providing the pizza to the studio audience. Sure. That's a real bonus. That's, that, now I know why you all showed up. So. Uh, and Lou Cairo, who is a senior partner with the CWG Personal Injury Law Firm and who is uh, the WCPT legal analyst. He's every month on, on WCPT, and he knows pretty much everything about everything that has to do in particular with personal injury law, but also labor law. So we're going to be talking about those issues. We're going to be talking about impeachment. We're going to be talking about politics. Uh, you know, I want to get these guys opinions. I want to hear from the audience. We're going to have a fascinating three hours here, and I'm, I'm really, 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 really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let me first just recap some of the news that's going on, just uh, basically the impeachment news. The uh, former envoy to the Ukraine, Kurt Volker, testified before the members of three House committees. These were the first formal depositions in the impeachment inquiry. This is going to get real interesting. Volker reportedly testified this, uh, by the way, from a great summary blog by Hunter over at Daily Kos. He testified, reportedly testified, we don't know because it was in closed session, but, you know, things leak, that he had warned Rudy Giuliani, Trump's lawyer, that the stories that Giuliani was pursuing on Joe and Hunter Biden were a lie, number one. Number two, that Giuliani's sources were untrustworthy. And, I mean, this is our former envoy to Ukraine, the guy who would know, right, the guy who was there, the guy, you know, and he's saying that, no, there's no there there. Secondly, a mysterious packet of propaganda that was delivered yesterday to Congress by the State Department, or the day before yesterday, by the State Department Inspector General. This is really weird stuff. There was this pile of stuff that makes it look like there's some kind of weird deep state conspiracy and the Ukrainians and, and oligarchs and all this stuff, all to take down Donald Trump. 
and suggesting that the Democratic Party had hacked itself and they did it out of Ukraine and that's where you'll find Hillary Clinton's secret server but you know we already know that there is no Hillary Clinton's secret server and the server that she had was just like you know uh, what was done by other people and besides that she turned it over to the FBI but nonetheless it looks like this stuff came from it was some of it was apparently forged I mean it was like on on phony federal letterhead and things like this so we've got all that, and, and uh, you know, it was just basically to smear the former U.S. ambassador to the Ukraine, uh, Marie Yovanovitch. She was recalled by the people in the Trump White House because of this crazy conspiracy stuff, very strange stuff. Donald Trump claimed that Mitch McConnell had told him that the transcript of the conversation with the president of Ukraine proved that he was uh, not trying to do a quid pro quo and that it was the most innocent conversation ever. And then also, you'll recall a week or so ago, I was ranting about when the transcript came out that there were these ellipses, these missing pieces of the conversation. And I was like, what's this? And people were like, ah, you know, it's just, you know, that's just a literary device. Well, now the New York Times, the Washington Post, other agents, uh, you know, other groups are saying, you know, it's pretty clear that in a 30-minute conversation, there's only 11 minutes worth of talk here, and those ellipses, which were pretty critical points, probably actually did have something to do with something missing. Other stuff to catch you up to date on, the text messages, this is what came out yesterday, text messages from uh, Trump's own team. This is from Kurt Volker's testimony before Congress. He released a whole raft of text messages that basically showed these guys conspiring to extort or, and or bribe Ukraine, depending on how you want to say it, you know, either withholding the military aid and, hey, you know, your whole country might go down. That's kind of extortion. Or alternatively, we'll give you military aid if you give us dirt on Biden, which would be considered bribery. The Constitution, of course, says bribery is an impeachable offense. Um, the Republicans had run out right after the hearing, uh, Jim Jordan in particular, and said, oh, it completely exonerates us. And then somebody leaked the text messages. And now all of a sudden they just all shut up and went, you know, it was like, you know, cockroaches scurrying when the lights go on. Um, uh, today, the inspector general, the IG, uh, I, I, I described this a while ago. He's sort of like, you know, you watch the cop shows and there's the, uh, the internal affairs department, the, 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 the guys in the police department that all the cops hate because they're the, they're the cops for the cops. Well, every federal department has one of these groups, uh, one of these guys, and they have the legal right, and this is federal law, they have the legal right not only to report to the president, who is te technically their boss, the head of the agencies, all these agencies fall under the executive branch, but they also by law have the legal right to testify directly to Congress, to report directly to Congress. And that's what the Inspector General for the Intelligence Communities um, is doing today before a closed door session. And uh, he's the guy, by the way, who originally came to Congress and said, Joe McGuire, the, the director of national intelligence, is stonewalling this whistleblower thing. So expect more you know, semi-shocking revelations to come out later on. Donald Trump, in a tweet this morning, claimed, I have the absolute right, perhaps even a duty, this is a verbatim quote from his tweet, to investigate or have investigated corruption, and that would include asking or suggesting other countries to help us out. Well, you know, technically, uh, of course, you know, if you think that there's corruption, and particularly if it might involve the United States and another country has the information, but when you say to them, and by the way, if you don't find this dirt, we're going to hurt you, that's a completely different thing. This is a real Hail Mary, and, and we'll see where this goes. 
Moscow Mitch came out today and laid this out. He said, this is what he said. Nancy Pelosi is in the clutches of a left-wing mob. They finally convinced her to impeach the president. All of you know your constitution. The way that impeachment stops is a Senate majority with me as the majority leader. This is a video that he emailed out to his donors because at the end he says, but I need your help. Please contribute before the deadline. <laughs> oh, jeez. Right. And so then, then Trump issues another tweet, basically double-dog daring Nancy Pelosi to hold him accountable. He says uh, uh, that he's not going to, he's not going to have his executive branch comply with subpoenas unless the entire House holds a vote on whether this is a formal impeachment inquiry. Now, there is nothing in the law that requires this. But he may regret it if she does this. I mean, this kind of vote actually happened uh, before the Nixon investigations. In fact, there were only, as I recall, four members of Congress who voted no on this, on that, on Nixon, because by that point in time, it was so obvious what a crook this guy was. With Trump, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, Nixon wasn't blackmailing members of Congress or threatening them and, you know, didn't have primary challenges and didn't have a bunch of billionaires behind him and didn't have Fox News and all that. But still, Nancy Pelosi has a majority of votes. And then finally, Donald Trump sent out an email this morning trashing Adam Schiff that was just nuts. So we're going to get to all of our panelists and their thoughts on this recap that I just shared with you on other issues of the day. We're obviously going to talk about labor a lot. We've got the whole day here. We've got the whole three hours for the program. It's going to be real interesting, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to your thoughts and questions. We also have two people here who are running for elective office, and good on them. And we're going to hear from them, too. So stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Jim, let me start with you. What are, you, what are your thoughts about this whole circus and what's going on? Well, I, I think it's a pretty sad day in, in America when this president just basically does whatever he wants and there's no accountability. He's lied how many thousands of times. He uh, takes people to his hotels, which is against the law. He surrounds himself with complete criminals, and he's been getting away with it. I know Nancy Pelosi did not want this impeachment. I mean, she's been fighting impeachment because she thinks it may play into his hands come election time. But then it got to the point, really? We're looking at what he's doing, and then you're going to turn your back again because we're worried about 2020. Uh, it's, uh, it's a whole lot worse than Watergate, and we all saw what happened during Nixon and Watergate. So um, I think they're doing the right thing, but there's, there's always a questionable outcome of how it affects the election in 2020, which yeah. gets yeah. me a little nervous. Yeah, I'm with you. Nancy Pelosi just tweeted, this is real interesting. I mean, this is, this is going to be, I think, the narrative, ultimately, is Trump is going to be saying, oh, I was just being the good cop, right? I'm just looking for information. And Pelosi and the Democrats are going to be saying, no, you were cutting a deal. And this is the tweet. She said, what did Donald Trump promise China in exchange for interfering in our election? Because that was his pitch yesterday, right? It was essentially China, if you're listening. We already know in 2016, he said, Russia, if you're listening, you know, the, the media will treat you nicely if you come up with Hillary Clinton's emails. And obviously, they got a lot more than just that. But anyhow, she continues the tweet. What did real Donald Trump promise China in exchange for interfering in our election? An easier deal on trade? Ignoring the crackdown on Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement? The trade deal is a real interesting one because Donald Trump is... Axios does a newsletter called their market newsletter. It's, it's about the economy. 
and if you don't subscribe to it, it's free, and it's, it, you can just you know, get an email, and it's a fascinating one. And in their newsletter this morning, they were talking about how the economy is, is clearly slowing down. Manufacturing has been down for a couple of quarters now, and the service sector went down this month. And almost all of that looks like it tracks back to the trade war. And you know, China's economy is starting to rebound now. They're, they, you know, they were at five and a half, six percent. Now they're back up around seven percent growth. They're still growing faster than we've grown since World War II. So it's not like they're having a problem with this. And it's because they've got this huge internal market. They've got a billion people. You know, we only have three hundred million people, more or less. So China tweeted out this morning, by the way, that we will not interfere in American domestic affairs. So we'll see how that plays out. Anyhow, Nancy Pelosi ends this up. What was he promising China? An easier deal on trade, ignoring the crackdown on Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement, condoning repression of religious freedom. And then the hashtag that Nancy Pelosi is using, and I would encourage you all to start using is truth exposed. Hashtag truth exposed. And welcome back. We're live in Chicago at uh, Smart 265's... uh, what do, you, what do you call this, John? Union Hall? Union Hall, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, Union Hall. Okay, there you go. Uh, so we've got Jim Allen and John Daniel and Louis Cairo. And uh, John Daniel, the business manager at Sheet Metal Workers uh, of Smart 265. Your thoughts? Nancy Pelosi, she's forced into a corner. She had to make a decision. She has to enforce the law, right? There's obviously credible, what I believe, crimes that have been committed that, that will force the impeachment process. So the likelihood of it getting through the House is very high probability, as Jim was saying, for it to to be enforced in the Senate, it's going to be next to nothing. So where does that leave us? Does that leave Trump spinning the entire process into another fake news flurry? Does he become a martyr because of the exercise that the House has put him through? Does that create a better chance of him being reelected? Or are we able to change that narrative to the general public so we can actually do the right thing. And it, the, the entire process, as I'm listening to Jim and you talk, I think about my kids. I've got a 24-year-old, a 22-year-old, and an 18-year-old at home, and they don't know, they haven't seen anything with character that, that I grew up with as a presidential person. They haven't seen honor as a presidential candidate. They, they just, what are they going to... the John Kennedys? Yeah, what are they going to, what's their expectations as they, as they build their families and their future? Where's a normalcy that uh, has been the fabric of, of American society? It's just kind of dissolved in a very, very short period of time. And those are some of the things that keep me up at night. Some of the, some of the, one of the other things that's dissolving right now is, is uh, Donald Trump is trying to put Anthony Scalia's son... Who, who is a professional union buster, basically. He's a lawyer who, who advises big corporations on how to destroy unions, mm. trying to put him in charge of the Department of Labor, which is originally designed to protect the rights of workers. This kind of stuff, and he's got a coal lobbyist running the EPA, he's got an oil lobbyist running the Interior Department, he's got telecom lobbyists running the FCC, it's a on and on and on. These things are getting lost in the dust. That is a concern of mine. Your thoughts, uh, Absolutely. John? We've seen a... a a swift deterioration of of the middle class, you know, with the separation in wealth, but the long-term effect of the the current Supreme Court structure, um, the Department of Labor changes that have happened, the the underfunding, the changing of directives. You know, the Department of Labor was established to protect people to get up every day, uh, put their boots on, and go to work and build the country, and that's been lost and converted and twisted and perverted into a position where we need to take care of the corporations that are the job creators, and everyone else is just a tool to make them money. We've seen it from state to state. Wisconsin had Scott Walker, just a puppet to the Koch family. 
And thank goodness he's gone. But we had the same thing here in the state of Illinois with our previous governor. And he had a full this frontal Bruce attack. Bruce Rauner. Bruce Rauner. A full frontal attack at organized labor. And I think because he came directly at us, where Scott Walker maybe played his cards or, I, frankly, I think he was just dumber. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he played his cards slicker. He didn't come right at organized labor head on like, like uh, Bruce Rauner did. He came at us directly, and our members saw that, and we stood up and we fought back, and he's out of office now. We've got a strong labor uh, governor now in the state of Illinois. So you've said it, everybody said it, elections have consequences, and the consequences that we're seeing today, the, the amount of damage that one president, one governor can do in one term can undo tens and twenties and thirties years, decades of work that uh, people like me and my predecessors and everyone in this room and your listeners have, have worked diligently at to shore up. And in, in, in a blink of an eye, a tornado comes through and, and just devastates everything. And let's not forget that phrase, elections have consequences, came from Ronald Reagan when people were yelling and screaming about his destroying unions. And he was like, ha, 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 screw you guys. <laughs> Luke Cairo, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, also, as a personal injury lawyer, can I claim a personal injury against Trump? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got place, allegedly has billions and billions of dollars, so we at least we know he's got a deep pocket, right? I think that's alleged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much My so. My guess is he's, he's actually underwater, but yeah, he probably is. He probably will. Of course, he says he's very liquid, so we could means that's the truth, right? Because the uh, guy would never lie. He's the president of the United yes. States, for God's sake. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, just a couple things. First, I want to mention one thing on the uh, on the issue of, of the impeachment, because a, a lot of people don't really understand when you get what impeachment means. You know, Clinton was impeached, Andrew Johnson was impeached. That just means that the the House of Representatives, which we have a majority, of course, in the Democrats, we're go- he's going to be impeached. I'm sure. President Trump will they'll vote for it's the equivalent of an indictment it's an indictment basically and then what happens unfortunately is it shifts to the Senate and it is tried the, the case is actually tried in the Senate and that's where the defense and the prosecution both present their cases yeah, he'll have like Ken Starr was that was uh, the when Clinton was impeached right. Ken Starr the special prosecutor prosecuted it and at that point Chief Justice uh, I think it was Rehnquist of it the Rehnquist. Supreme Court of, of the United States and his clerk John Roberts he presided over it well now his clerk John Roberts is the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice he will preside over this in the Senate and we would need all the Democrats and I think you talk about 20 Republicans to vote to convict him of the impeachment, of the articles of impeachment, which would get him thrown out. So when when everybody hears in a couple weeks, oh my God, Trump was impeached, it means nothing. Yep, Lou Cairo, excellent point, Saul. We'll be back with our labor panel and our studio audience live here from Chicago with WCPT. A lot of people like to get away just after the holidays and maybe take a vacation, maybe go scuba diving, take a cruise. Nice time to lose weight in anticipation of that, right? Uh, try Ridges Zone. Ridges Zone, Louise told me about this. She said once her appetite and cravings, she tried it out about a year ago, and she said once her appetite and cravings were under control, losing weight was easy and she's kept it off. My producer, Sean, was so impressed with Louise's results that she's trying Ridges Zone too. Sean wants to lose a little weight before the holidays. And she says Ridgizone is the easiest diet supplement she's ever used. One capsule with breakfast, and that's it. No jitters, no hunger, no wild food cravings. Sean says meals are no longer a battle not to overeat. She feels full faster and has reduced portion sizes accordingly. Also says she feels full longer, so no more grazing between meals either. The only ingredient in Ridgizone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant. That really appealed to both Louise and Sean. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season... 
I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Regizone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and get up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. It's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Riduzone.com. Promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. Riduzone.com. We're, we're broadcasting from the Union Hall of Smart 265. That's the Sheet Metal Workers Union. And uh, actually, it's more than sheet metal workers. The ART means something. Can you, what was that, John? Sheet metal, air, rail, and transportation. Air, rail, and transportation. Thank you very much. And uh, Lou, you were talking just before we hit the break about what impeachment means. You know, there's a lot of people who've never seen a president impeached. They weren't old enough for Clinton's impeachment, and certainly a lot of people who weren't around when, when Nixon was almost impeached and he ultimately resigned. You want to close up that loop, how that might affect a whole bunch of other issues, how that's going to affect the Democratic primary, because right now, basically, the main thing is who can beat Trump? What if Trump is gone? How is that going to affect issues like the environment, like labor, which is the, you know, the principal thing that I want to bring pretty much everything around to today in our conversation? Well, first of all, think back just like the last couple of months ago when they did all the, the Mueller hearings. Mm-hmm. And as people that aren't lawyers that don't live in a courtroom like I do or congressmen who live in congressional hearings, if you watch those, uh, those hearings, they were pretty much a farce, right? You know, you have legitimate questions. I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican. Legitimate questions. Guys never answering the question. The chairman and the other uh, speakers are all screaming and yelling at each other. I mean, it was a circus, right? I mean, I was watching the one there. They're asking, you know, did you report X, Y, or Z? I'd have to see the report you're referencing. No. Well, did you ever say X, Y, or Z? I want to see the report that you're looking at. Well, it's in the Mueller report. Did you say, what page is it on? Did you ever say X, Y, or Z? Just tell me what page. It's on page 92, paragraph 3. Can I see the report? You don't have the report? No, I don't have the report. Yeah, that was Corey Lewandowski. It, yeah, and it was absolutely the most ludicrous thing in the world. It's disrespectful, too. It's very disrespectful to the process. That doesn't happen in a court. Okay? That ain't going to happen in the Senate, either, when the Chief Justice of the United States, whether he's a Republican or a Democrat, is not going to let this be a circus. Okay? So things will be a little different. So once you get through the hearings in the House, they will take you know, the articles of impeachment to a vote. I guarantee you every Democrat's going to vote for it. There's already one Republican. I don't remember his name. But he's already indicated he's in favor of it. We don't even need it. So once the articles of impeachment are voted on... It's Justin Amash of Michigan. I'm sorry? Justin Amash of Michigan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're my walking Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do this for a living. I mean. It's so intimidating to be up here with this guy. i got to tell you, man, you have no idea. we got to talk about the law so I can think I know more than you do. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, we can talk about judicial review if you want. <laughs> so well, once it gets to the Senate, it'll actually be more like a real trial. I mean, and mm-hmm. Justice Roberts will preside over it. There will be questions and there will be answers, and there won't be all this game Uh, The stuff that's really, if you watch it, I don't care what side of the fence you're on, you got to look and say, this is just disrespectful to our country that we've got $50 million of salaries in a room that, right, all these congressmen, they're all up there, and our tax dollars hard at work. And it's a total joke. It's it's not going to happen in the Senate. But what's also not going to happen in the Senate, like Jimmy said before, I don't think you're going to get 20. I don't know that you're going to get two senators. Imagine the reprisals when one or two or three or five Republicans vote, get them out of office. Oh, we saw this with Jeff Flake and Bob Corker. I mean, anybody yeah. who crosses this guy are destined. But the thing that took down Jeff Flake and Bob Corker was a primary, was a primary challenge. And those primaries are going to be the primary challengers for all the senators who are running are pretty much going to be filed by the end of this year. 
So if this gets extended beyond that, do you think that's going to take some of the heat off these guys? Yeah. Or even after the primary season in, in February, March, April? Yeah. No, I agree. And just like just make sure people are clear on what you're saying is if you if you did it today, if these certain Republicans would vote to have him impeached today and have him thrown out of office, there's plenty of time for Trump and the Republican Party to find other candidates to run against those particular Republicans. Right. So like if Joni Ernst in, in Iowa, who, who is... Raise some eyebrows here, right? If she was to say, "Yeah, I, you know, I think you know, probably Trump should be impeached, or at least there should even be hearings." Yeah. They support a candidate tomorrow to get her in there to get her out. That's right. But once the the Senate hearings are going to be after all the people have already put their names in, they got their petitions in, and running in the primary, now it's too late for him to really do anything other than get some grassroots efforts out there to get him not elected. But he doesn't have a candidate now, right. so if they don't get elected, then it goes to the other side. It goes to a Democrat. So. He, Trump would be, I think that's an advantage, the timing, the more that gets delayed, the better. And then as far as the ramifications in the long run, like Jim was saying before, there's a bunch, there's, there's, a, there's a line of thought that this is going to help Trump, assuming he doesn't get him, you know, thrown out of office. He's going to get impeached. So what? He's not going to get thrown out of office. His base, who, like he said when he was running, I could stand on Fifth Avenue and put a bullet in a guy's face. And my ratings are going to go up. And you know what? They are. Because his base is freaking crazy. Yeah. I mean, they are, I mean, with all due respect, and I know people that are Republicans, friends, businessmen, successful, educated. And I read their stuff on Facebook. And, oh, greatest president ever. Greatest, most classy first lady ever. You want to see pictures of the classy first lady? I mean, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. It's like Jimmy Jones has infiltrated the world. And he's Donald Trump. And he's got, everyone's got the purple Kool-Aid. Yeah, so, he's a cult leader. So, yeah. So if, if he is not thrown out of office, his base, I think, are, is going to come out of the woodwork. There's another line of thought that says, well, when all this stuff flushes out and people really hear the truth, what a bad guy he really is and what he's done, eh, maybe the Democrats are going to wake up. And maybe Labor's going to get a much higher percentage of people voting for a Democratic Party rather than a Republican Party like the last election, which is unconscionable. And I still don't understand how that ever happened, but we know that it did. It was about 50-50, which is shocking. Jimmy, what, isn't that what your numbers were, like what you heard? Yeah, it is shocking. And you know what? We've had surveys. This is Jim Allen, the president uh, of the Bricklayers. Surveys in our international union where they actually called members after the election, and about 50% actually admitted on the phone that they voted for Donald Trump, which is amazing. And then another 15% wouldn't say. So what does that yeah. mean? <laughs> if they're not going to say, that means, yeah, they're afraid of retribution, who's on the phone call. So that means probably 60% of our members but, but let's voted be, for But let's be guy. clear here for a second. I mean, I, I know people who voted for yeah. Donald Trump. I, you know, in, in fact, I, know, I knew quite a few of them. And, and oddly, a lot of them supported Bernie in the primary. Yeah, they liked and then they voted for Donald Trump. And the reason why, at the time, was that Trump said he was going to bring jobs back to the United States. He was going to blow up this whole neoliberal experiment with NAFTA that really originated with Reagan. I mean, the Reagan administration wrote the first draft of NAFTA. The, the Bush senior administration finalized it and got it all ready for a signature. But it was Bill Clinton who signed it and the Democrats who kind of embraced that. And, you know, finally somebody came along and said both the Republicans and the Democrats are wrong about this. I agree with that, by the way. Uh, you know, and, and the more Trump does his trade war stuff with China, the more people think, hey, he's out there fighting for me. So you know, there was that. And, and he said he was going to stop immigration. And, and yes, there are a lot of people, a lot of working people who see 
quote, illegal immigration as diluting the labor pool and cutting wages, and there's a legitimate argument to be made there. Um, but, you know, the obvious and easy answer is go after the employers, but, no, you know, Trump is not going to do that. But, but he, you know, he made a lot of promises that in some cases he seems to be trying to keep. In other cases, he's just completely ignoring. You're going to get better health care than Obamacare. Everybody's going to be covered. Well, we find out that's a lie. Uh, you know, he's going to be the best thing ever for labor. He's going to have a middle-class tax cut, and, and he's going to take a bath. These were all lies. How, 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 how durable is that support? If it was based, if so much, if at least half of it was based on lies. And you're right, because you know, when you're running for office, all you got to do is promise the moon, you lie about everything, you get elected. And you, well, especially you, if you, you have no nothing. record. He had right. never he been had a no politician, record. Most so nobody knew who he was. Most politicians have a lot of records that you know, they can get them on. Um, going back to NAFTA, I always uh, like to remember this. Okay, so Clinton gets blamed for NAFTA, right. which it did go through him. But you got to remember, every single Republican voted for NAFTA. And only about and they a third had, of the Democrats. Well, I don't even think it was a third. I think it was like he needed, they needed like six or eight of them. Uh-huh. And that was Bill Daley that came in from Chicago and pushed the heck out of them to get a six or eight Democrats. You're talking Democrat. about Senate. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's six or eight that would flip, and that's, that's, all, they, that's all that voted for it. Yeah. So it was really a Republican bill that they pushed six or eight Democrats that got forced by Bill Daley back in the day who was a Chicago politician. Well, he wasn't a politician. And that's something we need to be repeating. Yeah, so it was a Republican bill. Right. You know, so it was a few dead, deadbeat Democrats that flipped. Right. Which and he also said that. he wasn't going to get us in any more stupid wars. And, you know, yeah. So far, thank God he hasn't. But, uh, yeah. you know, what he's North Korea just launched a submarine-based missile at Japan that, you know, yeah. with, a, with a split warhead, yeah. which is a violation of everything. I mean, well, know, we, we talked he, about it when he's a wounded, wounded animal like he is right now. Who knows what he's going to do? We talked about it at breakfast. Is he going to yeah. start a little war, throw a, yeah. throw a nuke out there and see what happens, get the attention off of him? Uh, this man doesn't care about America. He cares about one person, Donald Trump, and he's proved it for three years. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I sit and watch this stuff, and I'm like, really? Is this American people that stupid? Are we that living in a cave that we don't look at this man, the, the language he uses in his tweets? and his, He's the most disrespectful human being that's ever sat in the White House, and I'm sure we've had some bad ones. But... Uh, and, and is it because uh, your 401k is up and you go, well, I don't care. You know what? He can do what he wants because my 401k is doing pretty good. Well, so that four, not after this week. Yeah, that 401k, 401k can, <laughs> can disappear real quickly like it did in, in 08 and 09. And, uh, but it's, it's, sad that the Ameri- it's sad that his approval rating is above 5%. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, uh, that was Jim Ann Allen, the president of the Bricklayers here in Chicago. John Daniel is with us. Lou Cairo is with us. We're live from Chicago. We're going to be picking up some of your uh, some of your thoughts from the audience as well. Stick around. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And we're broadcasting live from the Sheet Metal Workers uh, Labor Hall here, Smart 265, just outside Chicago. If your schedule's anything like mine, it's getting harder and harder to keep up with new information. In our fast-paced world, it's essential to keep learning, whether for work or for personal development. I've found an incredible app that I wanted to share with you. It's the most amazing app on my phone, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information, from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes so you can easily read or listen to on your phone, tablet, or web browser. 
I listen in the car and on the airplane. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books like Becoming by Michelle Obama or Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House by Michael Wolff. All the books you want and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for you, just for my listeners to this podcast. Go to Blinkist.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. Try it for free for seven days and save 25% off a new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Tom. We've got a question from the audience. Hi, my name is Hale. I'm a 33-year member of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Hey, great union. Thank you. <laughs> One of my brothers is a member of IBEW. The topic came up of the Nixon administration and impeachment at that time, and the Republicans really weren't in favor of it, weren't pushing for it, until there was a tremendous groundswell from the people. So what can we do to get that groundswell from the people now in, in our times with the Trump administration to push it for great, impeachment? Great question. And your, and your point is spot. Do what they need to do and do what the right thing is. Yeah, your point is spot on. When Congress first voted to investigate Richard Nixon, the public sentiment for his impeachment was a 19%. Six months later, it was a 64%, as I recall, 65%. John, your thoughts? <laughs> the Nixon was that entire area was a little bit premature for me, so I remember my parents talking about it. Well, so. I'm not asking about Nixon. <laughs> I'm asking your thoughts about his his question. I'm the official old fart up here, but but I, it, I, I was asking about his question how we, about how, how do we how do we, how do we the spread the word? Yeah, and it, that's a loaded question. I'm trying to figure out how do I spread that word within my own membership base. In the amount of spin that happens in the media now with everything's a lie. Our current president takes both positions of every issue. We talk regularly, trying to educate our base on, on what's important. And, and the way I define it important to, to myself, my family, and my membership is the ability for, for me to provide for my family and the ability for me to have some security when I go home and, and to have a, a good school to send my kids to. That's, that's what I vote for. That's what I encourage my base to vote for. And that's like the, the core Maslow's kind of law of hierarchy. What do I need to survive? I need, I need income. I need security. I need, I need family. I tell my members on a regular basis and, and the people in my community, regardless of what side of the fence they're on politically, that if I can provide for my family and eventually at some point up that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if I want to either take a pro-gun or anti-gun position, if I want to take a, a pro-life or abortion, if I want to take those auxiliary positions, that's way up the food chain from me providing for my family. So when I talk to my members, that's the message that I take. Because we have gun people, we have anti-gun people, we have pro-life, we have, we have membership that takes both positions. They're, they're generally center, I think, collectively, but the core value is... How do I provide for my family? How, would I, how do I have some type of sense of dignity when I, when I get up and go to work every day, when I come home, and how do I eventually retire with some dignity? That's the core value. And if you lose focus on, on what you need to survive, everything else becomes white noise. You become disenfranchised with the entire process. And I think that's part of what we're seeing today is that disenfranchising position. And 
changing that message, that narrative. We just got to keep talking to people. We got we to bring it back to the core value. This ongoing war on labor that's coming out of the Trump administration and the Republican Party. I mean, you know, it's been going on since the 1930s. Good one. Thank you, John. Welcome back. We're live from the uh, Union Hall for the uh, sheet metal workers here uh, in, in suburban Chicago uh, with WCPT. And John Daniel, Jim Allen, Louis Cairo on the panel with us. And uh, during the break, we had a person ask a question. How do we help build a groundswell of support for impeachment? John, you were saying, let's not forget to talk about, if I'm paraphrasing you right, let's not forget to keep talking also about the really core stuff, like can I make a living? We just heard that over 260,000 jobs are created in the last whatever it was, month or quarter, I don't know how they do these. But it turns out that wages are actually flat. In fact, in, in many areas, wages are declining. So the war on labor is continuing. So you know, continue to talk about that in addition to how outraged you are. Is that a good summary of what you had to say? Sure. I, I think We hear all the time from labor leaders, and I'm sure Jim hears it, there's a shortage of skilled, qualified workforce. There's a shortage of building tradespeople. There's a shortage of welders. There's a shortage of IBEW guys. We hear that across the board. There's, there's not a shortage of skilled labor. There's an absolute shortage of skilled labor who will work for less. That's the problem, and that's the piece of the conversation that, that we're missing collectively. Yeah, I think so. Lou, your thoughts as an answer to that yeah. question of how do we build a groundswell of support like happened during the Nixon impeachment? Well, that was even before my time, even though, even though I'm 61. I'm, was, no. If I knew the answer to this question, I'd be like the smartest man in the world. But I think which, what we need to do is, you know, Trump's base is Trump's base. He'll shoot someone in the face. It's not going to affect their votes. The Democratic Party, our base is our base. They're going to be against him because he's a Republican. Forget that he's out of his mind, insane lunatic. The question is, how do you get the people like the independents and the other people that are maybe they're on the fence? Or the low information voters, the people who get all of their news from just catching 15 right. minutes on the radio every day. So what do we do to motivate those people to pick up the telephone, to call their Republican congressional leaders, their senators and their, their representatives in the House of Representatives, and say, hey, I'm watching the news. This congressional hearing is going up. I'm against this. My neighbors, our town, our little town here that we vote Republican, we're against this. And you got against vote. what? You mean against the corruption? We're against of the Trump, what's of the going on. We we want him out. We want you to know you better vote to get him out. If you're a Republican and you're thinking, hey, I own my state. I've been here for 20 years. No one's ever going to vote me out of office. I don't want to be an enemy to Trump, right? I'll say the right thing as long as I because there's no primary candidate coming against me. I'm golden. But if his own people in their town, their cities across their states are calling up saying, hey, we don't like what we see. We think he should be out. We'd rather see Pence as the president. You know, whatever they're going to say, that's going to put a little bit of pressure on a Republican senator when he's voting because Mitch McConnell saying, we're not going to do this, are we? You know, we're not going to, we're not going to. Well, my people, Mitch, my people are against him. My people want him out. And I have to represent my constituents. If they don't get those phone calls, all they get is browbeaten by Mitch McConnell and Trump. Why would they ever vote? What, because they're going to do the right thing for the right reasons for the American people? When they please, never have on an alien topic? <laughs> yeah, they're going to start now? Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Jim, your, real quick, your question, because we've got a person with a question um, right back here. Getting back to the Nixon uh, thing, I think I was 40. You're when older they, than I think that I was 40 when they impeached him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I, I do remember a little bit about the uh, Nixon world. But the difference then was you had integrity. It's hard to say you know, a Republican has an integrity. Yeah, it was but back Goldwater then. Walked over and told but, Nixon to yeah, resign. But guess what? You know what? you got to go. 
but because they did have integrity. There's no integrity left. It's all bought and sold. You know, Citizens United buys everybody. So there is no integrity. It's all about who's going to give me the money to keep elected, myself elected, no matter what. You know, I can cheat. I can be a scumbag, uh, drain the swamp. There is no draining of the swamp. He just brought more swamp people in. But it's all about the money and Citizens United. And, and Obama said it to, remember when he walked over to the State of the Union and he pointed to Roberts and said, you were wrong. And he shook yeah. his head because he knew Citizens United would change politics forever. And it really has. So that's the difference between the Nixon days and uh, what's going on now. Yeah, and that's our big challenge. On the other hand, we didn't have social media back then. So, you know, no, we, we didn't all, have we that either. Again, bought and paid and for Fox TV. Right. So we have a question from the audience. This is a comment, a follow-up to the question here. First mm -hmm. of all, I'd like to thank you for being here, for our sponsors, to, for supporting this. Yeah. But you. I think the tide has started to change already. I live in Kane County. Lauren Underwood is now my state rep. And she's great. She's just great. That was supposed to have been impossible. I've had a number of friends for years in the neighborhood and so on that have, we've, I'm a Republican, all my whole family and so on. But we could talk about politics and talk about issues up until about four or five years ago. One friend out of the blue whose father was a Republican elected official. We were having breakfast out of nowhere, she said, I no longer consider myself a Republican. I hate them and I am hearing more and more of that without soliciting. Hmm. I believe that time has changed. Now, Trump has said he could shoot people. I think some people that were Republican leaning and some of it was just habit. This was what my family did, et cetera. I think people have had enough of it, and I think we're going to see that change come soon. Yeah, Thank from you. your lips to oh, God's ears. Hope you're right. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys are you guys getting a sense of this, uh, Jim Jim Allen? You know, with the bricklayers, are you hearing from your union members from, that they're starting to get disgusted? Well, I I, I think uh, like the uh, person there that stood up. I agree. I think it is changing. DuPage County is a perfect example. It was a very red county, and it's really turned blue overnight. Well, I shouldn't say overnight, but in the last five years, Lauren Underwood, back during the primary, came to our training center because she wanted to see what was going on with you know labor and how, how we train people. So she came to our training center, and I sat and met, met with her, and she's a brilliant woman. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute now, this is a African-American woman in a complete white county and running against how many were in that race. There were probably four other Democrats. And I thought, well, yeah, she's a brilliant woman, but how is she going to win this thing? And she won it. And she, I think she'll stay in there for a long time. And it just says a lot about where we're going when we can get someone uh, in a complete white county elected because of what they stand for and not the color of their skin. So it was very, very interesting. Yeah. Good steps. Good direction. We're live from Chicago. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I was waking up in Chicago, then I'm waking up in Los Angeles. <laughs> I've recently discovered the powerful health, health benefits of CBD oil, especially when traveling, and I've been using New Leaf Naturals and love it. CBD oil is not intoxicating, which makes it great for people who want the benefits, the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. 
So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's newleafnaturals.com. Save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. That's newleafnaturals.com, code TOM. We're live in Chicago, broadcasting live from the Sheet Metal Workers Smart 265 Union Headquarters. John Daniel is with us, the business manager of Sheet Workers Smart 265. Jim Allen, the president of the Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers, right here on WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk. We have a live studio audience, several hundred people here. Thank you so much for showing up. It's great seeing you all. You know, I end the show every day with democracy begins with you get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You know, I've been, I've been saying this for 16 years now on the radio. And from time to time, people take me up on it and they take it real seriously. We've got some candidates here, Jim Malone, Lynn Gray, Alice Wilson-Shirky, and Pete Janko. And I want John to introduce uh, two of them who came out of the labor movement. And we're going to have uh, Paul run the microphone over to them. So if you'll just, when, when you're introduced or your name is called, stand up and Paul will get the microphone to you and give you a, just a minute or two. Please do it very, very quickly because we're going to hit a break. But give each one of you a minute to uh, just basically announce your candidacy. So, John, you want to introduce the two that you know? Yeah, thank you, Tom. So, democracy starts now. That's a tagline across building trades. We've been pushing very, very hard, asking our membership to engage in the process. Not just go to the polls and take your family and friends to the polls, but actually become a candidate yourself. Because who can have a stronger voice for organized labor than organized labor? So that message has resonated. Jim Malone heard that message at our union meetings as, as we've continued to uh, encourage people to, the politics is not a spectator sport, and we need you to engage. So I'd like to introduce Jim Malone, candidate for Illinois State Rep of the 66th District. And good on you, Jim. So like John said, my name's Jim Malone. I'm running for state representative in District 66, which is Northern Kane County and Southern McHenry County. Uh, I am a member of Local 265. I've been a member for 28 years. Actually went to apprentice class with John. We sat right next to each other. So I feel that we're not being represented properly in our district. So that's why, like John said, I stepped up. I currently serve on the Board of Trustees for the Village of Carpentersville. And I am a precinct committee person for Dundee 32. And I'm the treasurer of the Dundee Township Democrats. That's great. That's great. And uh, do you have a website you want to? I do, jimmalone.com. And we're getting petitions signed. So if anyone lives in northern Kane or southern McHenry, come see me. I'd love to get a signature. Great. And Thank thanks. you. And John? Jim, we're proud of you, and we're going to be there to make sure uh, we get you across the line. The next, uh, we got another member, Lance Gray, that's here today. You know, Lance isn't running himself, but again, it, it, we talked about getting your family, friends, neighbors out to vote. Lance Gray's wife, Lynn Gray, is a candidate for McHenry County Board District 5. Uh, we're very proud of you, Lynn, and, and appreciate you uh, running for that spot. Lynn, please. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to address everybody. Yeah, I am actually pretty new to the political scene. I ran for recorder of deeds for McHenry County in 2016. It was an unsuccessful race, and I swore that I would never run again. <laughs> but here you are. Um, yeah, so really good friend of mine, Missy Funk, taught me how to canvas. And so I'm a uh, 
well-versed canvasser. That's what I like to do most, knock on doors and talk to voters. Peter Janko was introduced to me um, through Missy, and um, he is the uh, Democratic Central States Committeeman for for the 14th District. And um, so he talked me into running for county board. Uh, The decisions that are made locally are the ones that touch us the most in our family life, our everyday life. And I believe that the decisions that have been being made in McHenry County have not been being made in favor of working people. Um, and I think that I can make some better decisions. That is great, Lynn. Do you have a website that you want people to know about? Um, I currently don't have a website. Or a Facebook page? Um, a Facebook page is uh, Lynn Gray, uh, McHenry County Board, District 5. Okay, with an A or an E? Gray? Gray, G-R-A-Y. A-Y, okay, great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Lynn. Congratulations. And, and Lynn, Lynn mentioned Peter. You, Peter, you're running for, for what? The state representative? Yeah. Illinois 63, so, so yeah. take the microphone. Okay. Okay, hi, everybody. My name is Pete Chanko. I'm currently the Democratic State Central Committeeman for the 14th Congressional District, and I'm going to put on my uh, State Central Committeeman hat, One of the reasons that I'm actually running for state rep is because last year I was one of Lauren Underwood's super volunteers, and the 63rd district happens to be the area that I worked very hard for, so I figured this year, okay, I'm going to be out for Lauren Underwood again, and I might as well run on myself so we get a twofer, okay? (laughs) Okay, great. And do you have a website, Peter? Yes, I have a website, too. It's uh, Pete, the number four, Illinois. And I'd like all of you to just find a candidate, you know, that's, that's pro-labor, that's out there for us, and volunteer a couple of hours. I mean, now we got fantastic stuff. You can phone bake from the couch. You can text from a couch. You don't even have to get out of the house. So if you're uncomfortable meeting people, we'll take you out to community canvases. But we really need to start doing stuff that benefits the working families. And going door to door gets you exercise that's good for you. Thank you, you, Peter. And uh, Alice Wilson-Shirky. Alice, tell us about your candidacy. Hello, my name is Alice Wilson, just recently Shirky. Congratulations. And I'm running for a judge in DuPage County, Illinois. You all know how important it is to have very good judges on the bench. Now, I've been a lawyer for 28 years, defending in criminal, divorce, and family law. I've also been a judge, but an administrative law judge for 22 years in Cook County for the city of Chicago, hearing and adjudicating over city uh, ordinance violations. I also serve as an arbitrator in Cook County, where I hear mostly personal injury cases. And um, prior to becoming a lawyer, I worked for the federal government as a contract specialist, whereby I put together, awarded, and worked over large construction contracts for General Services Administration with the federal government. So I've had a pretty elaborate career here. Now I think it's time that I take the bench because I've defended lots of people throughout my 28 years. And I believe there's only one set of rules for everyone 
and that's the law. And that law should be applied without prejudice or bias towards anyone. Alice, do you have a website real quick? Yeah. I don't have that up yet, but you can go to Alice Wilson Judge DuPage, and that's my Facebook page. Great. great. But, Tom, finally I want to say, let's make history in DuPage Elect the first African-American judge in DuPage County. Yeah, in DuPage County. Great. Alice, good luck, and thank you so much. Good on you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. A couple of topics that I just want to hit on one at a time and and go through this stuff, and I want to wrap up with a discussion about pensions right after our last break. But, Lou, I'd like to start with you. You have some, some very specific thoughts. I've heard this in a couple of places. I haven't actually seen the numbers, so I can't say that it's 100% certain, but it's damn close if it's not. That Donald Trump, because the last two and a half, three years of the Obama administration, Mitch McConnell would not allow any of Obama's judicial nominees to go through, um, including Merrick Garland, but also the the other federal courts, that uh, Donald Trump in three years has appointed more federal judges than any president in the history of the United States. What does that mean for working people? What does that mean for the average person? What are the consequences of Trump's relationship and, and frankly, McConnell's and the Republican parties with the, the federal courts and the Supreme Court? You know, pe- people always think it's so important to have the right politician in a position. But if you think about it, what in our normal daily lives, we don't really get to deal with the president. We don't get to deal with even our senators. We deal in courthouses all the time, though, and people in our community, our employers, whether it's a, it's a, it's a car accident, a workers' comp case, whatever. Things that affect our livelihood are more at the ground roots level, which is really like the court system. Now, in state court, you have to be elected. Even our U.S. or I'm sorry, even our um, state Supreme Court justices, every three years, they go through an election. They have to be elected by the people. In federal court, you get appointed by the president. And when you get appointed, you wash your hands and you walk away because it's a lifetime appointment. And people really don't understand that. So when you get a federal judge who is an anti-union judge, and if Donald Trump put him in, you can pretty much be certain that is an anti-union, anti-middle class, anti-what-built-America type of a judge. So you have somebody who's in that seat for the rest of their life until they decide they want to pass up their $200,000 salary and they're just going to go off to greener pastures, like some of our good friends that are able to do in the unions, right? But these are guys that will, men and women that will be there for the rest of their lives if they choose to. And when you have judges like, as John was talking about in the Janice decision, I mean, that goes to a, a conservative judge and they're like, yep, public sector, you guys don't have to be in a union, but the union has to do all the negotiating, has to give you all the representation, but you don't have to pay a damn penny for it. That's not from a Democratic appointed judge. That's from a federally appointed judge by a Republican president of the United States. And when McConnell brilliantly held up all those confirmations, we didn't get Merrick Garland, who was just was a fantastic jurist. Uh, he was a fair, he wasn't super one-sided or the other. He was just a great jurist. Um, I literally cried when he accepted the, the nomination from President uh, Barack Obama. He was Orrin Hatch's suggestion. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, you know, a he, Republican. right. And Mitch McConnell did everything in his power to make sure, and he did it brilliantly, that the, there was no confirmation hearing. And as soon as Trump became a president, all of a sudden the floodgates opened, and here comes one more conservative after the another. We've got Gorsuch, we've got Kavanaugh, we've got all these ones in federal court, uh, the federal judges. Uh, we've got Ruth Ginsburg, who is hanging out of the wing of a prayer. Thank God. I hope she lasts and stays on that bench until we get a Democratic president, because if God forbid, God forbid he gets a, Trump gets to appoint another um, federal U.S. Supreme Court justice, they have a 
a super majority now. And the Democratic issues will never, ever, ever see the light of day. And you will see vast changes in so many things in this world. I mean, from abortion to guns to, I mean, to um, things that deal specifically, as, as Jim says, you vote your union, you vote your paycheck, right? If that's your way of life, you vote how you earn your living. Because if you don't make any money, if you don't have a job, you can't buy bullets for your gun. You can't even, you know, you can't do the things in life that, that is... John says you have that, that pyramid, that trickle-down effect where you it all centers around one thing and only one thing. Support your family. Put your babies to school. Get them an education. You know, put your, you know, build your house, so to speak. If you can't do those things because you don't have a job, then, you know, all you do is you come here for free pizza, but this radio program won't even exist anymore. I mean, these, these men will, will I'll be out of a job. Men will not be retiring like John talked about and the gentleman from the IBW 134. They're not going to be retiring with pensions. What's it? People will be working until they're 90 years old, and then they're going to drop dead poor. That's just what's going to happen. And if we are a world full of federal judges in this country, we are destined for disaster in that regard. And, and there's no stopping. You can get the greatest leader in the world. We can get the entire Congress, all Democrats, but every case that goes up to the Supreme Court and the federal courts is going to be answered not by those Democrats that are in Congress or in the White House. It's going to be, it's going to be answered by, decided upon by Republican um, judges who are, that's just their philosophy. They read the law differently than a Democratic judge does. One quick example, Gorsuch had a case where a trucker was driving in a blizzard the truck broke down. I mean, it was frozen, right? He disconnects his trailer. He gets his truck to safely get out, but he left his trailer there. And he was fired on the job. And Gorsuch wrote the opinion he should have been fired. He left his trailer on the side of the highway. He was saving his own life, right? But that's, if you want to talk about, let's try to screw the little guy who's out there trying to save his life in the middle of a blizzard, and then you support the fact that the guy should be fired? Really? Well, not just that. I mean, Gorsuch said that he should have stayed there and died, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm saying... So it's, just, it's you know, this guy's on the Supreme Court now. This is when he was on, right. you know, on a, and, and he's there for life. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Important stuff. Uh, John, you you wanted to tell us about women build nations. Tell us about this. Yeah. So we talk about diversification. You heard me earlier say uh, the traditional name is journeyman. Um, we we're changing that. It's journey person now. We we're trying to have a more inclusive fabric uh, amongst all unions. It's a it's a North American building trades union initiative. I just wanted to do a shout out uh, right now in Minnesota starting today is the ninth annual Women Build Nations Conference. Uh, I applaud Sean McGarvey, president of uh, North American Building Trades Union. I, I, I applaud our general president, Joseph Sellers, uh, who's out there now with the whole contingent of people, um, men, women, white, black, Hispanic, everybody coming together to have the conversation of how do we diversify who we are, and to make us stronger, frankly, how do we do that? Uh, I know recently one of my newest business agents, Louise Medina, first female elected business agent in our local. Thank you. <laughs> really proud of her. She's changed the conversation in our boardroom. Her and, and the input from the other female members that we have, um, they bring up topics that that when I sit around the table and look at my, my peer group, and if you can't see me and you're not on a thing, I'm a middle-aged white guy, right? Um, how do I even understand the plight of what it is to be a female tradesperson in, in, in organized labor? And bringing Louise into the, into the conversation, uh, attending conferences like Women Build Nations has, has driven us to, to add a maternity benefit for female members. Um, that, that was identified that that's an obstacle. How do you sustain uh, an income if, if you get pregnant in the trade? We've got a first-year apprentice who was a um, Danielle 
Wilson was a first-year apprentice that was able to take advantage of that benefit. And, and it's, it, it's us just slowing down for a minute and, and listening. You know, we're all good at talking. We're labor leaders. We're all alpha males, right? But the value in being a leader, and, and, and Jim knows it, Lou knows it, Tom knows it, it it's listening. And, and, and I am just happen to sit in a position where I say what other people need to hear. And, and, and I get my message from my rank and file, the people who pay me to fight for them every day. And, and we're trying to diversify that group. And I'm, I'm really proud of the participation we have in the Womenville Nations and the conversation that we're changing collectively through that initiative. That's great. And, and uh, Jim Allen, the president of the Bricklayers, you wanted to talk about the teacher situation here in Chicago? Yeah, I just wanted to touch base. About two summers ago, Unite here, the hotel workers went on strike in Chicago. And it was a huge strike. It lasted a long time. And these are the people that, you know, clean our hotels, the, the lowest paid people in the world that actually stood up and fought. And the building trades backed them. A lot of our members walked off the jobs that they were striking. And it was solidarity, and it was a beautiful thing to see. And now the teachers in Chicago are on the verge of striking. We hope it doesn't happen. But you know what? Unions will stick together if they do go out. We're behind anybody that has a picket sign in their hands. Hopefully that will get resolved. We're all union. We got to we got to keep up the uh, fight for ourselves because a lot of people aren't fighting for us. You know, every time Trump bashes the free press, that bothers me so much I can't even tell you because it's basically saying that you know what he's the only one telling the truth and the, the truth tellers are the liars, and that that is to me one of the worst things that a president could ever say. Free press is the greatest treasurer of our democracy. Shows like this, there's nothing better than these things for our democracy. So keep it up. Thanks a lot, Jim. We'll be back. We're going to talk about uh, pensions and what's going on here in the United States with retirees in just a moment. It's the Tom Hartman Program live from Chicago from uh, Sheet Metal Workers Smart 265 Labor Hall. Do we have any questions from the audience for this segment? About what the gentleman was talking about, about the uh, right to work. Mm -hmm. I went from Illinois to back to Mississippi for almost two years. And it's like stuck in a twilight zone. <laughs> there are very few unions. And you can get fired just, you know, you come in and the boss is in a bad mood, boom. It doesn't have to give you a reason. This is your fire, and you can't do anything, you know. They spin it to where it makes it sound like it's, it's a union, you have a choice, blah, 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 but no, no. Yeah, and the, and the Republicans started pushing this back in the 1940s. I mean, yeah. you know, 1947 yeah. was Taft-Hartley, which gave individual states the right to opt out of the National Labor Relations Act, or at least that part of it, so that employers could basically screw their workers, even unionized employers. Yeah. Jim, you want to riff on that a little bit? Yeah, it, it does go back. Most people think that's something new, but it doesn't. It goes way back. Uh, you said 45? 47. 47, yeah. You're right. Right to work for less is what it is. And uh, Harry Truman vetoed it twice. Did he really? And he got overridden. Yeah. So, you know, Wisconsin went right to work. Indiana went right to work. Ohio went right to work for less. Missouri went right to work for less. Illinois was on the verge of right to work for less had we not gotten rid of Rauner in the four years that it took to get rid of him. And the ball's in their court right now to make it across the country. I think John touched base on that a little bit. The Republicans would love to see the whole country right to work for less. Again, union people have to wake up and, and fight. I was talking to one of the brothers from 399 at the break. And you know what? If union members and their families 
voted correctly and voted for their union instead of their stupid ideal like guns or whatever, or they don't like blacks or they don't like gays or they don't, whatever. If you just voted for your paycheck and voted union, we'd control everything in, in all the big major uh, cities and, and states. That's our, as John and, and me talk about, our biggest stick is how to get people to vote right because sometimes they just want to, I even talked to the brother out there, I said, uh, he goes, you know, it's a macho thing. You know what? Yeah. You know what? I, I like Trump. He tells it the way it was. You know, I didn't, Hillary, she's, she's a criminal. Lock her up. And I think it is a bit of a macho thing, but I've always told my family, I said, and I, this is a true story, if I ever knew that you voted Republican, I'd take you out of the will. Not to just, <laughs> and, I, and I really mean that. I would take him out of the will. <laughs> Not much there, but I'd take him out anyway. And welcome back. We're live from Chicago here at Smart 265's uh, Union Headquarters, Union Hall. John Daniel. John is the uh, businessman manager for Smart uh, Local 265, the sheet metal workers. You and I were talking just before the last break about the current state of pensions. And you're really, really good at boiling this stuff down and, and summarizing it and clarifying it. I'd like you to do your little riff here for us and, and inform people what's coming down the road. And let me just set this up. Right now, about a quarter of retired Americans, people over 65, about a quarter of them are living exclusively on Social Security, which means about three quarters of retired Americans either have a part-time job or they have a pension. That is my generation, the boomer generation, my parents' generation. That's us aging out as, you know, that, that's the remnants of pensions. When pensions go away, and, and, you know, my grandmother's living on Social Security. She gets 800 bucks a month. How do you live on 800 bucks a month, right? And Social Security doesn't go up every year along with the cost of living. The COLA is, is not specific to the expenses of actual retirement. So uh, without pensions, we're going to have a massive poverty problem in the United States probably within the next decade or so. John, please speak to this. Thanks, Tom. So it, it's, a really, it's a deep conversation. And what Tom and I were talking on the side is he could do a three-hour segment just on what's in front of us with pensions and some of the stuff that we as a general population, whether you're part of a defined benefit pension or not, the causation of the failure of some of these pension plans and how that impacts society as a whole. Organized labor, and I'll use them specifically, uh, we belong to a multi-employer pension program. So we have multiple employers that have multiple members that work for them. They all contribute to one fund. It's called a multi-employer pension plan. The federal government came up with a strategy to require insurance. It's a government agency called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. It's an insurance company that's required to back and support the possibility of a multi-employer plan failing. All right. So you need to understand a pension structure in, in its uh, core thing is uh, my members here directly in Local 265. They defer wages into a pension plan that we invest as a group. And the promise is that we're going to give that deferred money back to you when you retire with interest and make payments so you can offset the cost of living that Social Security. It's there. It's very important, but it's not real. It's, it doesn't really get you where you need to be in my estimation. So there's this insurance company called the uh, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Unfortunately, it's eminent that the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation is going to fail. It's going to become insolvent. 
And there was a lot of talk about it in the press last year. The federal government created a task force called the Joint Select Committee that was tasked at figuring out how do we maintain the solvency of this PPGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. In the political arena that we have at the federal government, they had some ideas on how to fix it, but their resolve at the end of November last year was we think there is a plan, but we don't have a plan, and they closed it. They knew that it's going to fail. It's 99.9% it's likely to fail 2025. All right? So when we say likely to fail, what does that mean? And, and what I need listeners to understand, Tom, and this is what we were talking about in the break, is if it fails, if I'm a pensioner from, from the Midwest and I like to go to Arizona or somewhere where it's a warmer climate and enjoy my elder years, I take my pension with me there, right? If the pension, multi-employer pension plan that I belong to fails, the PBGC is supposed to ensure that benefit. If it fails, there's three large pension plans right now that are imminent to fail. They're in critical and declining status. They are going to fail. It's a mathematical certainty. Those three plans failing will break the insurance company that's promised to shore up the benefit the government created. It's, it's, it's a whole mess. Right now, it takes $50 billion infused into this insurance company in order to maintain solvency going forward. And don't quote me on any of these numbers because I was just at a conference. If it fails and they don't invest $50 billion into this plan, it's going to cost the federal government in tax dollars $35 billion per year in lost revenue. So it's taxes on the pensions that they're getting plus the dollars that they spend in the community because of it. Now think of the, the social economic impact. So my members or whoever they are, they moved to Arizona, Florida to retire. Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp. is going to give them cents on the dollar of what they were getting as a pensioner. What does that do to those states? What is the social impact, social services? What's, what does that do to society as a whole if we as a people allow the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation to fall? You're going to hear a lot of talk about that in the coming months. It's imminent. Something has to be done. There was a Butch Lewis Act that was presented at the federal level. I believe Dick Durbin was one of the co-sponsors on it. That's had a couple of revisions. But if you look into Butch Lewis, you're going to be hearing about the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Pay attention to it. Whether you're in a pension or not, it's going to affect each and every one of us, and we have to find a way to solve it. We need to talk to the Senate and ASAP and tell them Butch Lewis or something has to happen to shore up the PBGC. Thank you, John. John Daniel, business manager, Smart Local 65, 265, Lewis Cairo, partner with GWC Law Firm, and Jim Allen, the president of the, of the Bricklayers. Right. Thank you, guys. Thanks to, to WCPT and all the sponsors for this program. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It does require all of us. So get out there, get active. Tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.